Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest. We have hit songwriter, producer, and the head of Relative Music Group, Dennis McCoskey. You're going to hear the stories behind the writing of some of his biggest hits, such as You'll Think of Me by Keith Urban, and the 1983 smash hit Maniac by Michael Cimbello. You're going to hear the story of how Dennis started Relative Music Group with his son Jesse, and how they signed Michael Hardy, one of country music's biggest songwriters right now, as their first writer. I had an awesome time talking to Dennis, and I know you guys are going to learn a lot in this episode. I hope you guys enjoy. We'll see you at the end. How are you doing today, Dennis? I'm doing great, Justin. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, you were raised in Philadelphia. What was your childhood like? Um... Yeah, I grew up in an urban area of West Philadelphia. It was a kind of a tough neighborhood mixed. Um, and it was, you know, I really enjoyed it. I, uh, I grew up playing music at 12 years old. And uh, I spent every summer on my grandmother's farm in Philadelphia, Mississippi. So oh, I had quite a dichotomy between two Philadelphias. Now, uh, what was some of the first music you started listening to that really got you into music and kind of felt, made you feel you had a connection to it? Um. I think it was uh, Procol Harum and uh, uh, some of the other, you know, early, really early stuff, the animals, of course, the Beatles. And uh, as soon as I heard it, you know, it, I was hooked. Uh, that was it for me. For sure. I, was, I think I was uh, 12 years old, I think. Now, did you grow up in a musical family? I did not. No, nobody else played music in my family. And uh, um, I, I uh, but there was a lot of kids in my neighborhood uh, that all played music. And that's what we did. We formed a band and, uh, you know, we, I kind of played in that same band all the way through high school from, from 13. And um, the guitar player, Michael Cimbello, left the band when he was 16 to join Stevie Wonder's band. And, wow. uh, you know, everybody kind of uh, the guitar, other guitar player played with the Jacksons and uh, the drummer did really well in sessions and the uh, bass player became an engineer at, at the famous Sigma Sound. And um, so we all kind of stayed in music for a while. Totally. Now, the first instrument you picked up was piano, correct? Yes. Now, mm -hmm. what, is, what drew you to the piano that that was the first one you wanted to learn? You know, you could kind of do everything on it. Uh, it had such a wide range that um, I just I just loved what you could create with it. And uh, I played, you know, I started playing B3 in, in, in Oregon really early, even before I started playing piano. Um, so that's what kind of drew me to it. The records that I was listening to had that sound and I just loved it. So I, you know, copied it. Now, when you were playing with people in your hometown, did you guys already start writing original stuff or were you guys mostly doing covers? Um, we were doing covers, but we were rearranging songs as well, where we'd take something like Love the One You're With by Stephen Stills, which was in C major, and we would do, uh, do it in the relative minor of A minor. We would kind of do weird stuff, you know, uh, with popular songs so that they we still could get an audience, keep an audience, but it would be a little more interesting for us. Yeah, totally. Now, coming out of high school, you decided to attend Temple University. What was that decision like, deciding to go to college and maybe not just moving out to L.A. to pursue music? Well, you know, it was at that time um, where uh, college was really important for my parents, too, you know, and that was part of it. And um, so I was gigging every night while I was going to college and I was 
um, teaching piano at, at uh, a lot of days too. So I had a busy schedule and I, I just, you know, it just seemed like the right thing to do. And it really helped me a lot harmonically and orchestrally uh, to get to, for those four years, because it was primarily a classical school and I was more interested in jazz. So between those pop, uh, pop music and jazz and, and the classical influence, it, it gave me a pretty broad base to draw from. Yeah. Now, coming out of college, what made you make the decision that you wanted to move out to L.A. to start pursuing songwriting? Well, you know, I didn't want I didn't particularly have songwriting in mind when I moved out to L.A. I just didn't want to be a musician in Philadelphia um, because, you know, I wanted to compete with the the best players. So um, it was either New York and New York was much harder. It was much more jazz oriented. And I really had to take stock of myself and really think that I really wasn't a great jazz player. I loved it, but I was better suited for studio. So that's why I moved out to California. And then the first song that I wrote became a hit for Diana Ross. Right. And that's yeah. what kind of drew me onto uh, the songwriting thing. For sure. Now, what did those first few years look like for you kind of networking in the L.A. scene? Um, well, you know, Michael Cimbella was out there and um, and he and I started writing again. I mean, writing. Of, uh, uh, we just started hanging out again and it kind of organically became what it became, you know, and uh, the L.A. scene is, you know, it's just like anything else. You just have to get out there and meet people and kind of do your thing. Yeah. Now you talked about Michael Cimbello. In 1983, you had a number one maniac that everyone knows in, in Flashdance. What do you remember about the day you wrote that song? Well, you know, I was watching television one night. And at that point, uh, my wife and I, my wife, Leslie, is also a musician. And so we played in bands together. And um, we, but our apartment was our music, the bedroom was also the music room and also the nursery. Um, so um, I was watching television one night and they found all these bodies in, in someone's uh, Gacy's um, backyard. And I just wrote down on a piece of paper, um, he's a maniac. He just moved next door. He'll kill your cat, nail it to the floor, or rape your mother and screw your wife. He's a maniac. <laughs> and I went to my wife, and, and Leslie, and I said, what do you think of this title? And she said, you know, I'd get some professional help if I were you. Um, <laughs> go see a shrink or something. And uh, so anyway, I went over to Michael's house the next day, and we had a uh, write scheduled, and um, he, hit, he said, hit the weirdest chord you know. Um, when I told him the title, his eyes lit up. And so I, I, I hit actually the weirdest chord I knew. And... Um, we, you know, we had grown up together. So we knew so much of the same influence. We had so much of the same influences that we wrote it in about 15 minutes as a joke. Wow. And, and, uh, and so then uh, Phil Ramone was going to be coming over the next day because he had this movie he was working on and he wanted to uh, see if we wanted to write something for it. So we stayed up all night and uh, produced it out. Pretty much what you hear on the record. Um, uh, except for some Tom uh, Tom overdubs, and we played it for him, and he said the same thing. You guys are need some help, uh, but he says I have this movie Flashdance that if I don't know how you, else you're going to get this thing cut, but I'll I'll put it in the movie if you change the lyrics to um, to the script. So then he gave us the script, and we read it and rewrote the lyrics. 
Now, even when you found out it was going to be in Flashdance, did you know it was going to have the life and success that it ended up having? You know, embarrassingly, we went and saw the, uh, um, the one of the first uh, cuts of the movie and thought it was really bad and thought, like, this is never going to work. So it's not only that I didn't think it was going to be huge, I didn't think it was going to be anything because I had just worked on another movie called Summer Lovers and everybody was hyping us saying this is going to be the biggest thing. So, you know, after after that, you're kind of going, yeah, I've heard that before. But in this case, it kind of worked out that way. For sure. Now, in 1994, uh, you made the decision to relocate your family to Nashville. What made you decide to do that? There were a few, uh, few reasons. I had already been coming down here, uh, um, co-writing. The, um, my mom had moved back to Mississippi, where she's from, and uh, the earthquake totaled our house in, in uh, Woodland Hills. So, and and um, uh, BMG offered me a deal here uh, um, through, through reunion. So that was, uh, it, it, and it just seemed like it, it was a natural thing to do. Now, one of my favorite songs, uh, not only of yours, but in country, uh, is uh, Keith Urban's You'll Think of Me. Uh, what do you remember about the day you wrote that one? Uh, that was, uh, I wrote with my friend Ty Lacey and Daryl Brown. And um, uh, Ty uh, had uh, just broken up with uh, a girl. And uh, he, that was his kind of ode to, to what she would, uh, you know, how she broke his heart. Um, and, uh, so he had, uh, a lot of the, the, the framework of it. And, um, then we got together and I was kind of developing him as an artist as well. So, uh, I, you know, we, it was kind of natural that we just kind of started, I had the pad in the drum groove and, and we would just started writing it. And then, um, Daryl was coming over to, uh, meet us and go to dinner. And then he joined us. Uh, midway through and then um, we didn't have a bridge at that point and then we went out to dinner and then um, a couple years later uh, I had been and I pitched it for like eight years before it got cut and then a a couple years later Joe Cocker was going to cut it and he said um, you know I'd like you guys to write a bridge so we wrote a bridge over the phone and I re-recorded it and um, uh, and then Daryl was working with Keith um and he did something he taught he taught keith how to play it but keith never heard the demo until later until later and the way that keith developed it it was almost as if he wrote it which is the ultimate for a, a writer for an artist to feel like it's his song and he he and dan huff just did an amazing job with it it was it's a great record so it wasn't you that had a girlfriend that had a cat you didn't like no, the cat, well, the cat line was, was definitely ties, but we kind of agreed that, yeah, if something's got to go, it's, it's got to be the cat. How do you feel about the, the people uh, for a long time thinking it was cap, right? Yeah, even my wife, when I'm doing in the round, she says, you have to pronounce that more because it sounds like you're saying cap, um, but it is cat. Um, because a cap, you know, um, you really would rather keep that, but if you're <laughs> right. a guy, you'd rather, you know, take the cat. Now, uh, kind of going on to what you do now. So you started Relative Music Group. You launched it with your son, Jesse. Uh, kind of yeah. what's like that been for you? That's been so much fun. It's been so much fun. I, I can't tell you. It, it's just been a joy. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I signed 
I started like working with Michael in uh, oh wow, um, 2014, and uh, and uh, and um, and then this the second deal was signed to Relative, and Jesse joined me, and you know working with both of those guys is working getting to work with my son is really fun for me, and he's an he's an awesome guy, and he's just he's really smart, and I you know have a lot of respect for him, and Michael's just an awesome person too. He's just completely secure, super talented, super giving, just, I, I can't say enough about him. He's a class act. What was it like kind of see what he's done like over the years and kind of knowing that you were one of the first people that took a chance on him? Oh, I mean, it's, it's so rewarding, you know, uh, he's actually, I told you, uh, I spent my every summer on my grandmother's farm in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Yeah. Um, and Michael's grandfather is my first cousin. Oh, so wow. Michael's my third cousin. And I met Michael uh, through Madison Hardy. And Madison and uh, Sarah, her mom, and Michael's mom, called me up and asked me if I would uh, send them some songs. And then I engineered for her one time. And then she, she recorded some of my songs. She's a great singer. And Michael would come and, you know, we'd, he'd be watching Ren and Stimpy while we were recording. He was just a little jock. I had no idea he uh, did music at all. And really at that point, I don't think he did much. And then he decided to go to college for music. And I asked them to come play me some songs and they were all really good. I mean, even, you know, even back then they were really good. And then he played me this song called uh, Dog Years that he wrote uh, from the dog's perspective to the owners and it's still i can't uh listen to the third verse without you know crying i mean wow. it's just so good and uh i just we just started working together after that for sure now we've hit on a couple of uh my favorite songs of yours do you have a song you're most proud of that you've written over the years um you know there's one that i i, I love uh heart of mine by boss gags that was a uh I always like that one. Uh, when was the last time music made you cry by James for James Ingram? Um, you know, Maniac is one of my favorites because I got to play everything on it and, and you know, it, I got to make the record uh, with Michael and it, none, of, none of the sections let you down. They all kind of work. Uh, um, so it's, a, it's a, a strong record as well. But, you know, I love You'll Think of Me Too. Um, and, uh, when we wrote, I need you, we literally wrote that in, in basically the amount of time it took to sing it. Um, and it, so when it flows that easily through you, you know, it's a gift. And I, I, I really like that one for its simplicity. For sure. Now on the publishing side of things, what is something that you look for that makes an artist or songwriter stand out in your eyes? Individuality. If you have a voice. You know, if you if you aren't, um, and you have to really love it. Uh, you have to be good because everybody's good, and you have to have uh, a work ethic that's better than everybody else's. I mean, you kind of need all of them, you know, unless you're so gifted that it just comes that easy. But then, you know, no matter what that is, you're going to have to get up and work. And and uh, that's what's so great about Michael. He'll outwork anybody, and he's got all the talent, and he's got that individual voice. And, uh, you know, we also uh, are lucky enough to work with Zach Abend, and he works his butt off, and he's so super talented, and Nick Donnelly, and, uh, you know, Bailey Bryan, and, uh, you know, I, I kind of look for 
that individual voice, somebody that wants to say something and kind of put a stake in the sand. For sure. Now, I like to close out my interviews by asking all my guests, what's a piece of advice you would give to someone that's pursuing a career as a musician right now? Um, I would say, you know, be hard on yourself in, in, in terms of knowing that where you are in the pack, try to attract, try to write with the uh, people that are better than you. I mean, we all do. We all try to write with people that will teach us something and just get in the rooms and keep doing it and don't, don't give up and, and really be as brutally honest as you can about your lyric, about your music. Just try to hang it out there because there's, you know, the, the more that you get in touch with who you are, uh, the more you'll bring to your art. Well, guys, there you have it. My conversation with Dennis McCaskey. Dennis, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had an awesome time talking with you. Everyone, go follow him on Instagram at Dennis underscore McCaskey and check out Relative Music Group at relativemusicgroup.com. And make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with Travis Vance, bassist for Thomas Rhett. I want to give a big thank you to TBD Coffee Co. for being the official coffee starting small music. Check them out at tbdcoffeeco.com. Make sure to check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also, follow Starting Small Music on Instagram, at Starting Small Music, and let us know if you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.